This podcast features information about drug use and distribution. Also, we have used pseudonyms for the names of the main players and their businesses in this drama. Listener discretion is advised. The Queensland Police Service acknowledges Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first Australians. We recognise their cultures, histories and diversity and their deep connection to the lands, waters and seas of Queensland and the Torres Strait. The Queensland Police Service respectfully acknowledges First Nations peoples as the traditional owners and custodians of Queensland. We pay our respects to them, their cultures and to their elders, past, present and emerging. I'm Assistant Commissioner Catherine Innes of the Queensland Police Service, Crime and Intelligence Command. The members of my command work tirelessly to make Queensland the safest state, protecting our community from serious and organised crime. In this podcast series, the Crime and Intelligence Command will provide insight into a number of challenging cases and the effort, perseverance and innovation required to get the final breakthrough. Importantly, I encourage you to collaborate with us you may be the person who provides our next breakthrough. Together, we can prevent, disrupt, respond and investigate. Welcome to Breakthrough, the official podcast of the Queensland Police Service Crime and Intelligence Command. I'm investigative journalist and author Matthew Condon, and for decades I've written about crime, from cold case murders to serial killers to the workings of the criminal underworld. Breakthrough takes you, for the first time, inside the Queensland Police Service's Crime and Intelligence Command groups and gives you an insight into a range of extraordinary investigations. In each episode, the QPS will share aspects of its case files and allow you to peer over the shoulders of real-time investigators in their relentless pursuit of justice, in their quest to bring answers and solace to victims of crime, their families, and the community at large. Importantly, the podcast also encourages you to get involved, to come on board with QPS investigators and try and resolve outstanding mysteries and unsolved cases. You may just be the listener who holds that final vital clue that will lead to the breakthrough in a case. In this episode, we take you deep inside the murky world of the dark net, an online haven for drug dealers, gun merchants, and a dizzying array of other criminal activities. And we'll reveal the critical importance of the Crime Stoppers reporting tool and how it helped to bring down the empire of one of those internet drug kingpins on Queensland's Gold Coast. This is episode four, The Tip-Offs, part one. It's no secret that the Gold Coast ticks all the boxes for families and Helensvale is no exception. There's something for everyone, the kids and the mummies. Welcome to Helensvale a well-to-do suburb on the northern Gold Coast. The perfect place to raise a young family. John, this is a really nice little market. Is this a good indication of the kind of community and what it's like here? Helensvale's a community vibe, so you're friends with your neighbours. 
organic fruit and vegetable markets, lakes, creeks, canals, shopping plazas. It's just a short drive south to Surfers Paradise or north to the city's cluster of theme parks. This former sugar plantation, named after Helena, the sister of one of its owners back in the 19th century, also has its fair share of luxury waterfront mansions, replete with infinity pools, media rooms, and butlers' pantries. Helensvale folk live on streets and boulevards and drives called Oyster Cove, the peninsula, Lake Serenity, and Monterey Keys. Some of these homes would not look out of place on the French Riviera. It was the writer W. Somerset Maugham who famously described the French Riviera as a sunny place for shady people. And this place is no different from any other around the world. Cruise down those boulevards with their neat lawns and grand porticos and designer fences. And one thing is certain. You don't really know what goes on behind closed doors in suburbia. Take Mr. and Mrs. Jack and Jill Jones, residents of Helensvale. They appeared, for all intents and purposes, an extremely successful and upwardly mobile couple. They had two children in an elite private school. Mr. and Mrs. Jones, in their early to mid-40s, liked nice things. Their luxury two-storey waterfront house featured a designer swimming pool, a boat ramp out the back, and a BMW convertible and a Porsche Cayenne in the garage. They had a further three investment properties, and they were partial to Rolex watches. They enjoyed what could only be described as a lavish lifestyle. The curious thing is that Mr. and Mrs. Jones didn't appear to have regulation jobs capable of generating the sort of incomes needed to sustain their high-maintenance manner of living. Because Mr. and Mrs. Jones kept a very, very dark secret. And little did they know, it was about to be exposed. My name is Sasha Finney. I'm a Detective Senior Sergeant of Police and I am the officer in charge of the Synthetic Drug Operations Unit at the Drug and Serious Crime Group. Meet Detective Senior Sergeant Finney, a 35-year veteran of the Queensland Police Service. She runs the Synthetic Drug Operations Unit, which consists of the Illicit Laboratory Investigation Team, the Drug Laboratory Response Team, and the Chemical Diversion Desk. It was during her time undercover that she witnessed firsthand the damage that drugs inflicted throughout society. What I saw as an undercover operative was that drugs and the terrible harm that they caused to families and to communities. And what I see as the officer in charge of Synthetic Drug Operations Unit is that that has not changed at all. And I was undercover 20 years ago. So it's, if anything, it's got progressively worse. The availability of drugs now is greater than it was then. Um, you've got mobile phones, Facebook, all sorts of social media platforms that can be used for the purchase of drugs, so it's, it's changed the dynamics, really. What wasn't around when Detective Senior Sergeant Finney worked undercover, prowling Brisbane's dive bars and alleyways, seeking out the city's drug trade with the aim of dismantling it, was the internet and its very own online marketplace 
for buying drugs, guns, fake passports, people's personal data, and child pornography. The dark net. What is the dark net? Basically, if you think about it, you can separate the internet into three different levels. The clear net, the deep web, and the dark net. The clear net is everything you can find on Google or any search engine. The deep web would be something you can reach, but you can't really access because there's a username and password. And then there's the dark net. This is Itay Mayor, a former security specialist for computer giant IBM, explaining the dark net on Tech Insider. And the darknet is used in order to remain anonymous online. But unfortunately, it's also been used a lot by criminals because it guarantees their anonymity and their security and allows them to collaborate in a way that does not expose them. In terms of what is sold in the underground, right now we're looking at different types of drugs, which is one of the main businesses in the criminal underground in the darknet. We have fake identities, passports, IDs, driver's license. These help facilitate online fraud. Other things that we can see in the underground, counterfeit money, renting the services of hackers. But one of the biggest things that happens in the criminal underground is underground stores which sell goods and services as well from fraud related topics to weapons to uh, jewelry to digital products and healthcare records which is on the rise with criminals. These dark net drug marketplaces never close. They operate 24/7. And as long as you have the ability to pay for goods and services in cryptocurrency, you can, quite literally, buy anything you desire with the push of a few buttons on your computer or mobile phone. And wouldn't you know it, in early 2016, one of the most profitable darknet drug businesses in Australia was operating out of a study in the downstairs front section of a beautiful waterfront house with a pool and a boat out the back, and a Porsche in the garage in the exclusive suburb of Helensvale, Gold Coast. Yes, the home of Mr and Mrs Jack and Jill Jones. Planning on partying? How will you be getting home if you drink, don't drive? Your life and the lives of other motorists are not worth the risk. Plan ahead and get home safely. Police have smashed what could be the state's biggest secret drug factory hidden in a Gold Coast mansion. They say they have found $60 million worth of ecstasy and speed and the equipment to make more. In the same week as the funeral of an officer who dedicated his life to ridding the streets of drugs, police have shattered a drug syndicate. A very sophisticated clandestine laboratory and um, the level of um, resources and the amount of chemicals is significant. The clandestine lab was hidden in a multi-million dollar mansion in the quiet Corumban Valley. Inside was enough equipment and chemicals to produce 140 kilograms of methamphetamine and ecstasy said to be worth over six million dollars. A drug lab has been discovered on the Gold Coast, hidden inside the home of a father of two at Varsity Lakes. Neighbours say his young children were told not to go into the garage. Now they know why. 
Buried alongside typical garage items like paint cans and eskies lay a makeshift amphetamine lab described by police as a ticking time bomb. Is there potential for explosive? Yes. Is there potential for uh, death? Yes. Firefighters on standby in case the chemicals ignited as detectives raided the Varsity Lakes rental home. They allegedly found the father of two in the middle of a cook-up while his children slept. And you just don't know who you live near these days. You just don't know who you live near. That was never truer than in the Jones case. In early 2016, Australian Border Force officers intercepting and scanning parcels arriving in Australia through the post identified several similar parcels, all from the Netherlands. On closer inspection, the parcels contained illicit amphetamines. Given the parcels were so similar, Border Force officers believe they were part of a larger consignment bound for the same crime syndicate. Each parcel was addressed to a false name, Jimmy James or John James, at several post office boxes across the Gold Coast. Queensland Police instigated Operation Oscar Fetters and Detective Senior Sergeant Finney's crack team was brought in. I am Detective Sergeant Zoe Knight from the Synthetic Drug Operations Unit. Meet Zoe Knight, an officer for 22 years in the Queensland Police Service. For the last decade, she has poured her energy and expertise into disrupting the drug trade and putting offenders behind bars. Detective Sergeant Knight has trained with the FBI in the United States and other elite drug and cryptocurrency law enforcement units around the world. She recalled the start of the Jones investigation. So part of our liaison, I suppose, is with the Australian Border Force, and they referred over what appeared to be just a very simple investigation of a couple of packages coming from the Netherlands of different drug commodities going to post boxes down in the Gold Coast. So they had identified that there were drugs in these packages? Yes, they had. And then they brought it to your unit's attention? Yes. So we get referred it over, a drug referral, and then we assess the information, the intelligence, and try to identify who those people are and um, what they're doing. Right, so you're really starting from scratch here. Very much from scratch. (laughs) Where do you begin? I mean, I guess to identify the post office box owners? Yep, so we'll just do general inquiries. And um, as we make those inquiries, we start to see, I suppose, deception coming through. And that's where we start undertaking overt and covert investigation strategies to progress that investigation. So as I understand it, these post office boxes were in false names? Yes, they were in an amended name. An amended name close to the perpetrator's original name. Yep. I suppose what made me quite suspicious at the time was I looked at the Joneses and looked at what they did for a living, and these were really large PO boxes, so something that you would expect for a really large commercial business, and I couldn't see that they had that, so I was kind of wondering why they needed that size box. Perhaps you're thinking what I'm thinking. Have drug dealers become so overtly brazen that they will, without fear, use Australia Post as an unwitting distribution arm of their criminal enterprises? While people are going about their business sending and receiving mail, posting presents to their grandkids or condolence cards to loved ones, those items could be sitting in the same sack 
as a consignment of methamphetamines or heroin. It's not as bizarre as you might think. The mail, it seems, is utilised by drug lords around the world. A recent BBC documentary in the United Kingdom focused on people buying drugs online and receiving their goods in the post. One buyer who purchased ecstasy on the internet described how easy it was. We're waiting for a package of an ounce of MDMA to be delivered. See the postman drive down, we get very excited, and then she gives me the package, I sign for it. Happy doodah. So, uh, yeah, we opened up this package. Inside it was an ounce of MDMA. Me and my friend at the time found it incredibly funny. She gave us the post and just had no idea. She handed it over us and said, thank you very much. And I looked at her and I said, thank you very much. And she walked off completely unaware of what had just happened. She, she was a part of a drugs trade. Back on the Gold Coast in 2016, a colleague of Detective Sergeant Knight in the Synthetic Drug Operations Unit was also trying to crack the post office box mystery and the identity of Jimmy James or John James. So my name is Joe Tui. I'm currently a detective acting sergeant with the Major and Organised Crime Squad based in Brisbane. Detective acting sergeant Tui, formerly of the synthetics unit, remembered the puzzling Jack and Jill Jones case and a bit of luck they received early in the investigation. In May 2016, an unknown male person had uh, attended the Runaway Bay post office where he attempted to open a P.O. box. This male person who we didn't know at that stage uh, wanted to open up the largest P.O. box, which are generally designed for uh, large businesses, but he wanted to open up the P.O. box just for personal use. Luckily, there was a diligent employee working behind the counter there that day, and she became a bit sus uh, on this male person because he wanted to open up such a large P.O. box. He provided uh, Australian Post with an, an address, a Toowoomba address, so he didn't live anywhere near the Gold Coast. And he also provided a Queensland driver's licence that appeared to be fake. So this diligent employee became suspicious of this male person. So luckily for us, she took a copy of his driver's licence and then forwarded that information onto her um, security team. When these two things came together, in a sense, the Border Force notification of these parcels going to post office boxes on the Gold Coast with a similar name, and then the runaway base situation, is that what triggered Operation Oscar Fetters? Yeah, exactly right, because they were able to match that the three um, post office boxes where the drugs were coming in from the Netherlands, and this unknown male person at the time who had registered a post office box, we uh, realised that they were all connected So without compromising any tricks of the trade, if you like, what was the surveillance operation you mounted then? How did that work? With any drug operation, there's a number of strategies that we can uh, use, both covert and overt strategies. Uh, In this instance, we're able to identify this unknown 
male as being Mr. Jones, and as a result, we were able to put him under observation. We were quite lucky within the first day of having him under observation. Uh, we identified him going to PO boxes. We were unable to identify whether he was going to the PO boxes that the drugs were coming in from the Netherlands, but we were able to identify he was going to the similar PO boxes. We got lucky that late that afternoon, whilst he was under surveillance, we identified him dropping off 21 express post parcels to the Southport Post Office. In the meantime, police had identified the actual person behind the fake driver's licence that was copied by the eagle-eyed employee of the post office at Runaway Bay. So when the initial intelligence reports came to our office, we were able to conduct checks on our uh, police computer system called Q-Prime. We were able to identify that the name was fake. But one thing we can do within our Q-Prime system, we can check addresses. But the beauty about Q-Prime is that Q-Prime doesn't provide us with the latest persons living at that address. It also provides us with people who have historically uh, resided at those addresses. So we were able to do checks on the address of the fake driver's license. And through those checks on the addresses, we were able to identify a person who had a similar first name and a similar date of birth. We were able to then check the driver's license photo on this person who we believed it was and on the fake driver's license and they both matched and hence we were able to identify Mr Jones. Now that investigators knew the identity of their suspect, it was a race against the clock to intercept those 21 express post parcels that Jones had dropped off at the Southport Post Office. So once we identified these express post parcels had been delivered to the Southport Post Office, we had to quickly scramble and get a search warrant typed up to execute on the Southport Post Office to uh, legally obtain those express post parcels. Once we seized those express post parcels, we opened a couple of them there and we quickly identified that these express post parcels had small amounts of cannabis or small amounts of MDMA or ecstasy powder we identified that these parcels weren't just being shipped to people within Queensland, they were being sent to people all around Australia. We also identified that the sender, he had placed a sender on the back of these express post parcels with a business name, but the address was a well-established brothel here in Wollongabba. In Brisbane? Yes, that's correct. Police were now in possession of Jack Jones's parcels. But what might happen if any of Jones's customers complained when their goods didn't arrive in the next day's mail? Once we'd seized those express post parcels, our major concern was that um, if those express post parcels don't reach their destination the following day or the day after, mm. Mr and Mrs Jones might become suspicious mm. about why those parcels haven't reached their destinations and may try and flee or may try and destroy evidence. So that was our major concern that uh, once those express post parcels had been seized, we really had to take tactical action the next day and conduct a search warrant to gather evidence. Chasing leads and making breakthroughs, you can be a part of the team working to crack cases like this. Queensland Police Service is hiring. Head to policerecruit.qld.gov.au for all the information and incentives to join the QPS. That's policerecruit.qld.gov.au. 
On a July morning in 2016, almost six months after police began their investigations, the quiet serenity of Helensvale, the peaceful boulevards of Oyster Cove, the peninsula, Lake Serenity and Monterey Keys, were disturbed by something unheard of. A police raid on one of their mansions. But Detective Acting Sergeant Joe Tui and Detective Sergeant Zoe Knight from the QPS Synthetic Drug Operations Unit were present when police breached the dark and private world of the Joneses on that winter morning on the Gold Coast. It was a canal front home with a boat ramp, beautiful private gated estate. Once we got into the house, we identified a room to the side, which was an office room, which was set up with drug paraphernalia and common items that we see during our drug investigations, where Mr Jones actually said, everything in that room's mine. It's got nothing to do with anybody else. So... Did he mean Mrs Jones? Mrs Jones. There were drugs present on the property? Yes. So because he had started a Dartnet business, so to speak... He had clear tubs with all his different drug commodities in them. So we could clearly see through them, see there was packages of drugs and drugs being packaged up into smaller amounts. So we've got a really lovely Gold Coast home on a canal in a lovely suburb, a gated community. And in a room in one of those houses, there is a man conducting his business, which was selling drugs on the dark net. Yes. I mean, it's just fascinating that you could look at those little houses. You wouldn't know. You don't know what's going on behind the door. No. Detective Acting Sergeant Tui and Detective Sergeant Knight worked side by side on that raid. It probably would have been about 10 a.m. that morning uh, that we executed the search warrant. I remember the house. It reminded me of a uh, sort of a prize home house. It was a beautiful two-story house on the uh, river at Hallensvale. It was beautiful inside. It had a drop pool. It had a walkway out to a jetty. It was just a, a quite a beautiful house. If you in civilian life had been invited to that home, you would think this is a very successful couple that live in this home. Yeah, exactly right. It was just a beautiful house and it looked like a prize home house. So what happens? Did you just knock on the door? Yeah, so we would knock on the door and uh, we would advise them that, that we were police and that we were here to execute the search warrant. We'd clear the rooms in the house. We'd get everyone that was inside the house. We'd get them into one location within the lounge room. When we execute the search warrant, uh, from memory, I believe it was just Mr. and Mrs. Jones there present that morning. They did have two children, but their two daughters were at school. What was the reaction, do you recall, to your visit? They were shocked. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, for all purposes, were a clean couple. They'd never been in trouble with the police before. They didn't have any criminal history. They had led quite a normal life. They were a couple around about 40 years of age. And so they were in shock when we entered the house. Was there any resistance whatsoever or were they just simply numb? No, there was no resistance at all. They were just in shock. They quickly learnt not to talk to us. As part of any um, search warrant, we give them the police caution. Uh, A member of Mr Jones telling Mrs Jones not to talk to police straight up. Police soon found what they were looking for. This perfect home was in fact the hub of an extremely sophisticated and well-organised drug distribution network. Not only that, for the first time... Queensland Police 
were exposed to the inner workings of a drug dealer working exclusively on the dark net. This was something new and an alarming eye-opener for investigators. Here's Detective Acting Sergeant Tui again. I remember the house was a very clean house compared to most houses that we might execute a search warrant on, especially people involved in drug trafficking. There was initially no signs of any drug trafficking going on inside the house. It was very clean. It was a very beautiful house. It wasn't until we opened up the front room of the house that we identified a room that was solely set up for the purpose of trafficking drugs. There were boxes with different brands of cannabis in there. There were notebooks which had their clients' names written down with the tracking numbers next to each client. Uh, and this were the names of people all around Australia and there just wasn't one page. There was hundreds of pages of clients. There was false identifications. There were other parts of drugs such as cocaine and ecstasy. There were fake driver's licenses. There were books on how to make fake identification. There were other documents there for opening up businesses. So... Thankfully, this room provided us all the evidence that we needed, and that was probably one of their first mistakes. They were clean-skinned. They'd never done time in jail before. So, you know, that was one of their major downfalls, was leaving all this evidence for police. For the novice that wandered into that, essentially an operational hub into that office, this Mr. Jones could have been running a jewellery distribution business or any other business. He was just running it as a business and taking careful notes and everything was well organised. Yeah, exactly right. He he had notes on his business plan, on his business model. He had notes on how to expand the business. He had notes on how to produce cannabis or when the best time of year was to produce cannabis. He definitely ran it as a business model. When did you ascertain that, in fact, his marketplace was on the dark web or the dark net? That was the beauty of the operation. Back in 2016, the Queensland Police Service had never done an operation or an investigation involving drug trafficking or the dark web. Mm. To be honest, we really had no idea of, of what the dark web was or how it worked. We had some ideas that it was starting to happen. We heard rumours, but we really had no idea of how people sold drugs over the dark web. It was thanks that he had all that information laid out for us that we were able to engage experts from the Australian Tax Office and an expert from the Australian Federal Police who were able to explain to us that what he was doing was selling drugs on the dark net and they were able to provide us the information that we needed to explain to us, okay, he's using a dark web by the name of Alpha Bay and his business name is Weed to sell his drugs. This was literally for Queensland investigators, the first window into this method of drug distribution. Yes, exactly right. And he was very successful at it. As I said, we were very lucky because he had all that evidence laid out for us. We were able to engage other experts who were able to explain to us how the dark net works and how people can supply drugs through the dark net using cryptocurrency. I mean, as an investigator at that time with the Synthetic Drug Operations Unit, it must have been a huge eye-opener for you, this whole new world of subterfuge selling drugs. Yeah, it certainly was. We certainly knew straight off that this was going to be the way of the future, that this was going to be the way that drug traffickers will start selling the drugs was going to be through the dark net uh, and through the dark web. So we certainly knew that this was going to be the way of the future. 
I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. You're walking into a beautiful home. There's expensive cars in the driveway and the garage. You've got young children sent to exclusive private schools. And suddenly you have a married couple who are making enormous profits off selling drugs in this new and extraordinary way. The juxtaposition must have been, you know, startling in that you would never have expected that with the Joneses. I do remember during the search warrant in their lounge room area, they had a number of books. And I remember looking at the title of these books. And a lot of these books were titled on how to get rich quick schemes. They had quite a few of them. And I think that can tell you about the mindset of a person looking at the title of the books they read. And they just had quite a number of these books, how to become a millionaire quick, how to get rich quick scheme books. I saw that told me a lot about them um, as individuals. If, if they owned all these books, that they were desperate to be rich. The Joneses' success, Officers Knight and Tui soon discovered, was the assumption that their nefarious underground business would never be detected. Courtesy of encrypted software, the dark net was supposed to be watertight and never expose your identity or activities. Jack and Jill Jones's business model, it turned out, had two fatal flaws, ego and greed. Can you tell me about that business and how it worked? So on the Dartnet, I suppose it's a bit like an eBay system. To show that you're a trusted seller, there's a certain level that you need to reach. And once you've reached this level, that gives an indication to the customers that you're a reliable seller, that your products are good that you'll get a prompt response, a quick supply, so to speak. So he was a level seven vendor, which is the highest. And on that particular marketplace, to be a level seven vendor, you had to have over a 95% positive feedback from your customers. You had to have made a total of over $400,000. And you had to have the established clientele, which he clearly showed in all three aspects. I just want to go through that again because it astounds me and I think it'll astound a lot of people that in this parallel universe, there is in fact an internet marketplace that has ratings, customer reviews, yep. like we do in the clean world, yep. the same in the dark world. It's just astounding. It is. It, even when you read their uh, vendor profile, so they are selling themselves to their customers, saying how fast they can get that product out, how pure their product is. Sometimes I'll even provide presumptive drug testing to show how pure that drug is, um, how clean their crystals are. They also provide instructions on how best to take their product, um, how to get the best effect from it. It really is eye-opening to see these illicit marketplaces. I mean, there has to be a presumption in terms of the sellers and the buyers that with this sort of activity, that they're not going to be observed by law enforcement. To buy drugs and give it a customer rating, mm -hmm. you'd have to be confident enough to think no one's ever going to see this apart from people here in the dark net. It, well, that's how the dark net gives them that confidence. So the way that the dark net's structured with the peer-to-peer, -peer, it disguises the locations of people, but also in the marketplaces, there's that security that with the cryptocurrency that it's encrypted, it's untraceable. They know that they can't be traced. What can be traced by dedicated teams of investigators, like those in the Synthetic Drug Operations Unit, is illicit human activity. And the journey from those parcels out of the Netherlands detected by Border Force 
to the meticulous work of officers like Knight and Tui was a long and complicated one. Their work had to be backed by fact and evidence. You can have all the safe and foolproof computer encryption in the world, but human beings are flawed and make mistakes, and a meticulous investigation will defeat encryption every time. It's what turned the Joneses' idyllic lifestyle upside down, sending them from socialites to social pariahs in an instant. And this story had another dark twist. Detective Sergeant Tui, on the raid of the Helensvale property that day, made a peculiar discovery. If you're of a certain age, you might remember the 1994 American Gothic horror film Interview with the Vampire, starring two of cinema's biggest stars, Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. You'd think this old flick was worlds away from 21st century Helensvale on the Gold Coast, but you'd be wrong. When we executed the search warrant at their home address within that front office room that was set up to distribute drugs around Australia, there was a small closet door. And when we opened up that closet door, we got a bit of a shock. There was a vampire altering statue there. There was a picture of Brad Pitt with blood over his face uh, from the 1994 movie interview with a vampire. There was a small altar there with a fake human skull. There was candles. There was a little devil there. And there was a, a knife neatly placed on the altar. You're joking. No. What? what <laughs> that is absolutely bizarre. What, what, what did you take from that? I mean, did you ask them about that? Uh, I did. Eventually, that was one of the main questions I wanted to ask Mr. Jones. And from hindsight, I think he said it was just a bit of fun. But um, what, did, yeah. what did you take from that? Oh, it was very odd. That's what I loved about the job being a police officer. You know, it's certainly a different job. It's certainly an exciting job. Yeah, it was extremely odd. He was this couple, never been in trouble with the police before. They were selling drugs all around Australia, and then he had this little closet for worshipping vampires. It's unbelievable. And what do vampires do? They live at night and they draw blood or kill people. Yeah, that's that, right. That's the drug trade, right? Yeah, exactly right. Something you know may be the breakthrough police need. Please, if you have information which could assist an investigation in Australia, call Crime Stoppers on 1800 000 or go to crimestoppers.com.au. Your information could be the key to cracking the case. On the day of the Helensvale raid, both Jack and Jill Jones were charged with 27 drug offences, including trafficking and supply of drugs. Police seized the Joneses' luxury vehicles under proceeds of crime legislation and all of Mr Jones's electronic devices, which yielded some astonishing information. The seized exhibits included 231 handwritten pages of meticulous business records, Data revealed that Mr. Jones's business, Weed, had 2,084 sales recorded between August 2015 and August 2016. That's 5.7 sales per day, every day, for the calendar year. Jones's business on the Darknet's Alpha Bay ranking system 
had secured a vendor level of seven, only possible if Mr. Jones had more than 600 orders and was generating over $400,000 in revenue. Weed had also attracted a minimum 90% positive feedback from customers. Just another online business. Here's Detective Sergeant Zoe Knight again. This may be a question born from innocence, but there seems to me a presumption that there's a level of confidence that people like Jack Jones and others display a brazenness selling in this way, or is that just naive? No, no, it definitely is. They they know that there's those added protections that normal street drug trafficking doesn't have. You know, you're not meeting up with anyone. You're relying on a postal service. So you literally don't even have to leave home. You can get a courier come pick up your packages and and take them away for you. Which is the modern world, isn't it? It is, yeah, it is. And And customers like that too, they don't have to try to find a drug supplier and go out and meet them on the street and potentially be picked up by law enforcement. They can do it from the comfort of their bed. So um, people like Jack Jones can sit in at their desk with a beautiful view of the canal and sell drugs and receive the profits from that and don't have to mix with the riffraff. Absolutely. On the street, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. The Joneses received bail, but the police investigation didn't stop. Investigators learned that Jones had another business which he ran out of an industrial shed at Mullen Diner at the back of the Gold Coast near the Pacific Motorway. Jones sold hydroponic equipment as well as a drug called black tea, a synthetic cannabis. A subsequent raid of the property located bags of cannabis seeds and handwritten notes about how to extract cocaine. Jones was served a notice to appear in court on additional charges. Then, a Crime Stoppers tip gave police a massive breakthrough. Not just exposing the depth and breadth of Jones's drug trafficking activities, but revealing that his recent entanglement with the law had not stopped his illicit operations for one second. It was business as usual for Mr. Jones of Helensvale. Pacific Pines is a relatively new suburb on the northern Gold Coast between the Pacific Motorway and the Narang State Forest to the northwest. And in May 2011, it was the site of the horrific fatal shooting of Detective Senior Constable Damien Leading, killed in the line of duty during the armed robbery of a local tavern. It is just eight kilometres southwest of Helensvale. In late August 2016, a person anonymously called Crime Stoppers to report a suspicious vehicle that was coming and going from a vacant house in Pacific Pines every three days or so. The caller provided the vehicle's number plate. As they say, from little things, big things grow. Police traced the number plate to Jack Jones, and a search of the Pacific Pines home revealed a sophisticated cannabis grow house or marijuana production factory. All the dots were beginning to align in the Jones case. Police returned to the Helensvale mansion with another search warrant, and armed with evidence they'd gathered from Jones's Queensland-based customers, learned that he was still selling drugs on the dark net using another vendor name. When they arrived at the house, they caught Jones stuffing packages with cannabis. 
the Crime Stoppers tip was critical. Detective Sergeant Knight again. The case of the Joneses is no greater proof of the fact that Crime Stoppers can work superbly. The first one, you know, identifying again that serious reoffending that he, he kept committing. He would never stop, would he? That's quite showing that he's not going to give up that avenue of income. Yeah. Yeah, definitely vital. What would you say to, just to our listeners and members of the public who might think, I think I've seen something, but it probably doesn't mean anything? Make the call. It could be that vital piece of information that we need, particularly on the serious offences, homicide, murders. We rely on that information and it, it could just be that one little piece we need. Well, you've got tens of millions of eyes and ears <laughs> out there on the ground, haven't you? Yes, yeah, and it's really reassuring that we can work with the public to get those positive outcomes. In September 2016, Jack Jones was once again arrested and held in custody due to his clear risk of reoffending. Two weeks later, he applied for bail and was successful, albeit with strict conditions, including reporting to his local police station several times a week. Then in November, he was a no-show. So they vanished? They vanished. The Joneses? We did every avenue and inquiry that we could think of. Tell me what you did. That's fascinating. That's suddenly, the, what, the Helensville house is abandoned? Mm-hmm. I mean, did they take furniture? Did they take...? No, I believe they just packed was... up and left with the children. Uh, left their dog, because that was one of the first things he brought up when we <laughs> went they over. Left their dog. Well, now we know the calibre of... Yeah, well, that's how quickly, I suppose, they got up and left. In the tip-offs part two, police go on the hunt for Jack and Jill Jones, who would become two of the most wanted fugitives in Australia. And we learn of the critical importance of Crime Stoppers and the vital role the public plays in assisting police with information that can crack cases, including bringing the high-flying husband and wife drug-dealing duo, the Joneses, to justice. Without that community involvement, I think a lot more offences would go unsolved and the ripple effect would be huge. I can't speak for every police officer, but I know that police officers that do get crime stopper files, the general consensus is this information's good to go. We've got something good here. We've got a lead to go on. Let's give it the, the dedication and the attention that it deserves. We've had lots of success with Crime Stoppers and we've found labs from information that we've received from the public. Just people thinking that, oh, that neighbour's a bit weird and there's sort of odd-looking people coming and going late in the night. Um, it can be as simple as that. So that's why we stress that we're happy to receive information. To you, it might seem like it's a nothing, but to us, it might be a piece of a puzzle of a much bigger picture. The Queensland Police Service is grateful to those anonymous members of the public who contacted Crime Stoppers as well as Crime Stoppers Queensland who are dedicated to empowering the community to provide information that supports solving and preventing crime. And to Queensland Health and ADIS 24-7 Alcohol and Drug Support who worked across a range of projects to address community drug harm. The Queensland Police Service acknowledges all members including those attached to the Crime and Intelligence Command, 
who contributed in some way to the investigation of this case and their ongoing efforts to prevent, disrupt, respond and investigate serious crime. Breakthrough is a Moo Media production in conjunction with the Queensland Police Service. I'm Matthew Condon, writer and host. Our producer is Kate Morris. Original music and audio production is by Wasabi Audio. This message is brought to you by ADIS 24-7, alcohol and drug support. ADIS helps thousands of Queenslanders each year with advice on alcohol and drug use. Whether you're calling for yourself or on behalf of a loved one, ADIS have an experienced team that can provide you with over-the-phone counselling at any hour of the day. You might have a question about a specific substance, you might be wondering what to look out for, or you might want to learn more about treatment options. Give us a call on 1800 177 833 or explore our online resources at adis.health.qld.gov.au. If listening to this podcast has raised any concerns about your own or someone else's use of drugs, you can contact ADIS 24-7 Alcohol and Drug Support. ADIS provides anonymous and confidential telephone and online counselling for people in Queensland with alcohol and other drug concerns and their families. You can call ADIS on 1-800-177-833 or go to adis.health.qld.gov.au. That's adis.health.queensland.gov.au.